Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I'm a professor here at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business and the founding director of the Product Management Center. And I have with me a group of product leaders who are investing their time to help you learn how to succeed in product management. The Product Management Center at the University of Washington, we're trying to really just make knowledge more accessible. And every single week we are here on Clubhouse and then also on every major podcasting app to help bring some of the best product leaders together to learn from each other and to give you an opportunity to get your questions answered from them. And so each week we take a different topic in this week topic is a topic I keep hearing a lot of people express, imposter syndrome. And I have to be perfectly honest, I don't have a full grasp of exactly what that is. And so we're going to hear what is imposter syndrome. Those of you who face that or feel that will know that you're not alone. And then we'll dive into a little bit about how imposter syndrome dovetails with some other thought processes or way of looking at the world uh, that help product managers and what you could do to uh, have confidence hey, Jeff. in your... I, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, but if you had imposter syndrome, I don't think you would actually have said that. So just making a point. No one, if, tough crowd. God, no laughs, Sumaya. Seriously. He gets a laugh for his puns and I get nothing. <laughs> nothing. I, I, well, <laughs> it's bad that I was eating at the same time. I'm laughing on you. <laughs> that's what about. <laughs> I have to ask for my laughs, Jeff. I have to ask for my laughs. I'm going to go hide in a corner. That's John's me. laughing on the inside. I <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I haven't heard that expression in a while, and maybe that's not what he said, but I do love the I'm laughing on the inside red. You'll earn your stripes, don't you worry. And that's a great chance. We've got two product leader guests today. We have a product executive in residence, Sumeya Benganam, and Red, my co-host, who started this podcast and a founding advisory board member for the Product Management Center, started it all, really. Red, tell us a little bit about yourself and how people can engage in this conversation. Great, Jeff, my name's Red, I am not a comedian, and if I tried, I probably don't know if I'd succeed, but what I am is passionate about product managers. And as one of the founding advisors for the Product Management Center, we've worked together with a, quite a few other product leaders to build what is now an incredible opportunity for PMs globally to find their way into the role as a product manager. So we have a Slack group, we have this, actual meeting tonight. There's a red dot at the top of the screen. We're recording this show live so that people who could not make it tonight, we can be inclusive for them and do a podcast called How to Succeed in Product Management. So tonight, if you're someone who wants to get involved in our Slack group, please, I could put a link at the top of this, which I'll do shortly after. But I can also tell you, we as individuals are here to support you. So don't hesitate, reach out to us, follow us, and let us know how we can help you find your way into the world of product management. With that, Jeff, I'll hand it back to you. And I also just wanna sneak in a little happy International Women's Day today. So for all those product leaders and non-product leaders, it doesn't really matter what matters to me is just wishing you all an amazing day. And if you're listening to the podcast, so what? Get up and dance. Doesn't matter if it's still the day. Every day you can dance. 
every day you can dance. And I'll go on record as saying, I think every day we could celebrate international women who make this world a better place. So whenever you hear this message of celebrating International Women's Day, know that at least Red and I and the people on this stage, we strongly believe in the power that international women bring to the workforce and to the world every day. So speaking of an amazing woman, Sumeya, tell us a little bit about your journey in product, and then I'm going to switch it up instead of you being the one to tell us why today's topic is important to everybody. I'm going to put Chelsea on the spot for that. So first, just Sumeya, introduce yourself in case people have been living under a rock for these last 42 episodes, weeks we've been doing this. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jeff and Rad. Welcome, John and Chelsea, to uh, our stage today. Happy to have met you and looking forward to our conversation. I'm Sumeya Binganem. I'm a product leader. I'm currently at VMware working on uh, B2B software. So enjoying that part of my journey right now. Before VMware, I was at some startups and large companies working on technology, as always, have been in this product management space for almost 20 years. My background started in engineering and I moved to product management early on after, you know, a few months in engineering. So love this practice, love this community, love this art. And I'm always looking to learn from everyone here, get excited every morning to work on this and with people who love building great products and meeting users. And and so I think it's infectious and happy to be here with you all. All right. Glad to have you here every single week. And a guest this week was a listener last week, and that could be you in the audience. So your moment can come at any moment if you're as hardworking and uh, doing some great things in product like John. So John, tell us a little bit about your life as a product leader. Sure thing. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, so my name's John Pappas. I'm a 15-year product manager. Um, yeah, I started product management right out of college with a Series A startup. Uh, for all the reasons why startups don't succeed, that one did not. But it was a bridge to uh, a second startup and then ultimately into Salesforce, where I was a product manager for eight years. I like to think of Salesforce as kind of like my grad school. And then after Salesforce, I worked at Pendo.io. I did their growth strategy, introduced a freemium model. I spent two years there before finding my current role as a VP product growth at a Series A startup called Connect the Dots. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. John, we know someone in common, Purvi, who mentioned to me today that she knows you very well. So I'm excited. Yes, we do. <laughs> Purvi and I go back. We spent time together in Service Cloud. I think we were actually uh, demo partners during Service Cloud keynote demos at Dreamforce. And uh, yeah, we were we were awesome partners in crime. Released the Readiness Live videos um, and just, you know, friends and collaborators. So it's, it's really great to hear that. Yeah. Uh, she and I are doing a chorus this month, and uh, uh, she talked about your collaboration. So always happy to meet her friends. Welcome. All right. Welcome, John, and Small World. And Sumeya, yeah, the, your chorus, I'm pretty excited to see that you've put that together, uh, product uh, helping people, uh, product leaders. So um, we'll hopefully you'll get a chance to plug that uh, soon enough with more details on how people could find out about how they could be involved. I want to now turn to Chelsea. If you could first tell us a little bit about your journey in product and then maybe dive right in. What's up with imposter syndrome? What is it and why is it an important topic, not just for the aspiring product managers, but for product managers who've been doing it for years? Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Hi, everyone. I am Chelsea. 
I am currently a product manager at Redfin. I work with our company's contract agents, so we call them associate agents. So Redfin has a model where we have our full-time agents, and then we also have our contract agents who do more, say, showings, for example. And so I work a lot with them and figuring out how we can make Redfin a great place for people like them and then a great place to work in the gig economy. And so I've been at Redfin for just a little bit now, so almost six months. And before that, I was at a startup for a hot minute. And before that, I was at a company called Axon. And so I did some work figuring out how you could turn evidence into text and evidence being, say, like body camera evidence, or if it was like some sort of audio recording device, figuring out how to turn that into text and then being able to surface insights from that. So one thing that sort of spiraled off of that project was like a hate speech detector, like a Miranda warning detector, things like that, which if you could imagine the capabilities of being able to sort of surface insights from things like that was really exciting work. So yeah, I think for everyone, I'm a pretty early career product manager, which I, I embrace and I love. And I come from a non, I guess, non-tech, quote unquote, background. I studied communications. I did get my master's at UW, so shout out to UW during the pandemic to occupy my time. But outside of that, both personally and professionally, I'm very, very personally passionate about figuring out how you can create spaces where people can feel welcome and encouraged to be their authentic selves. I think it's very, very hard in tech. Not think, I know for a fact, it's very, very hard in tech. And I just really love to have really open, honest discussions. And I think part of that and coming from like my own struggles, which I'm also very open about, is just imposter syndrome in tech in general, and then imposter syndrome in product. Because I think from my experience in product and from what I've seen, especially like within the past couple of years, is there's a lot of gatekeeping that happens in product management, which I think we sort of frame it as like this really like hot club where like, I think there's a lot of ways that we're trying to get people into it, but it's like, it's very hard. And there are a lot of people who are not allowing people to get in and just like anything, like it's easier for some versus others. And so I think that's one issue, which also contributes to the fact that like, when you are in product management and say you look like me, where you're black and you're a woman, there are very, very, very few people who look like you or who even you would assume then think like you, which makes it a very isolating experience and a very hard experience. And so I guess like the way that I define imposter syndrome and there is no homogeneous definition of imposter syndrome, it, people can feel it in different ways and at different stages of their career. But for me, it's just basically like the way it manifested is like thinking that you do not belong in a room and that translates to second guessing all of your decisions and really feel like you're sort of like, this can manifest in really negative thoughts. Like I'm not smart enough to be here. I'm not technical enough to be here. I need to be a man to be here. I need to be a white person to be here. I need to have shipped 10 products to be here. I need to have 20 years experience to be here which then causes you to, one, your mental health suffers, and then two, your output actually suffers because you sort of putting yourself sort of starting off at a lower level, which just like translates into your productivity. And so I think people think of imposter syndrome as just like correlating to just like the way you feel about yourself, but it has a lot of like real world impact as far as like your ability to be successful in your career. And I don't think people talk about it enough. Someone, I, I'm going to plug her, but someone I work with at Redfin who's amazing. Her name is Phyllis. She actually wrote a book about imposter syndrome. 
and she talks about it a lot so i highly recommend that but i think i really want to just like create an open space for people to just talk about their struggles especially when you're early in your career yeah so that was my long-winded answer All right. Thank you for that. And the vulnerability, I think so many people feel vulnerable. And so when, and, but very few are willing to to share that. And so when people hear this, the story and this, what you're experiencing, I think that that's helpful to everybody. I want to dive deeper into this real quick before I get to John and Sumeya. So Chelsea, is imposter syndrome as you see it defined or as you see it experienced, is it limited based off of demographics and kind of visual cues as to whether you feel like you belong in the room or can everybody feel it in product management for one reason or another? Yeah, that's a really good question. Absolutely. And so I think like I feel as a person, I mean, I felt imposter syndrome in tech in general, right? Like because of the way I looked, but I think in product management that also manifests, but it's also the part about like being technical, right? And like not having previous PM experience as if you were supposed to be a product manager from the womb, right? Like, I feel like there's so much talk about that, like, especially like now where entry level positions are requiring 56 years of experience in order to apply to them, right? Like, I think those are the types of things where, especially working with like IPMA and seeing people who are thinking like, oh, I don't, I can't think like that. Like, I don't know these frameworks. I didn't read X book or whatever, right? So they feel as if they're not, they shouldn't apply for these positions. Like, and so that's when I talk about things like imposter syndrome actually being like tangibly holding people back because they don't apply to jobs. They don't sort of use some sort of framework that they learned because they feel as if they can't explain it well enough. So I definitely think it can translate in a lot of different ways. Yes, thank you. And so, John, as Chelsea's kind of described it, have you suffered from imposter syndrome at at some point? And if so, do you mind sharing what gave you this feeling? Yeah, Jeff, and thanks, Chelsea, for for sharing and kicking off this conversation. I have definitely felt imposter syndrome in my career, especially in the early parts of my career. I would say where I felt it most was uh, when I first joined Salesforce, my first year was extremely difficult. I can distinctly remember, you know, six months into the job thinking like, I just do not know how I'm going to survive this environment. And, you know, it was was really difficult. I was second guessing whether this was the right career for myself. And if I could just like maybe wind back, you know, the way that I found myself into product management was more of a function of just following my passion versus deciding that, hey, I want to be a product manager. And and what I mean by that is, you know, if you were to ask me when I was, you know, six years old, eight years old, what I wanted to be when I grew up, without skipping a beat, say that I wanted to be an inventor. And I didn't even really know what that meant at the time, but I knew that I liked to create things. I like to put things together with with Legos. I like to take things apart. So it's very much a an inventor of things in my mind. And, you know, it manifested in lots of ways. As I grew up, I was constantly creating things, you know, as as the web was really starting to kick off, you know, teaching myself HTML and CSS and building things online. And then in college, again, I, you know, I'd created this anonymous social network. I'm going to date myself. This was back in 2006. You know, I did that as a function of just, you know, curiosity and wanting to create things. And when I got to Salesforce, I felt like everything that I had known about creation had to be thrown out the window. And I had to kind of relearn how do I operate inside of this tens of thousands of people organization and how do I actually get something shipped? 
I don't know if you know about Salesforce, but you know that you have three opportunities a year to deploy. There's th- three releases per year. And if you miss that release window, you don't get another chance until the next window comes around. So my first year was very much a, I would say, a learning experience where I wasn't shipping. And what I had found was my mentors, my leadership team, who was just a fantastic leadership team, really coached me in some of the basics of how to communicate your vision. And I think that ultimately is what kind of cracked the nut for me was how do I relearn the way that I communicate in a way that others can understand. And I can very distinctly remember my boss at the time named Mike Bacucci. You know, he, he taught me this idea about a steel thread. You know, when you're designing or, or specking out a product, you have to have this sort of steel thread experience that you weigh all of your priorities against, you know, and you, once you have this steel thread, which is an end-to-end journey of the user finding value, once you have that steel thread story defined, then you can very quickly ask the question, well, if we don't do this, what will it do to the story? Well, nothing. Well, there's your answer. We don't need to do it, right? There's a way to kind of ruthlessly prioritize. And I found that the most effective way of communicating to my peers as a matter of survival was storytelling. And so I anything that's a large project, any kind of large effort that we're going to undertake, I always start out with a vignette. Who is the user? What are their pain points? You know, almost create like a children's book. Just make it as simple as possible. I usually do a slide deck and here's a user. This is the pain that they're going through. And then each slide is a step in that story. And I found that that was the absolute most effective way of ultimately communicating what what was in my mind and really helped me get over that sort of imposter syndrome. Because Once I was able to tell a story, I could inspire and excite everyone around me to want to get on board and to build this thing. You know, you you don't want to show up to, you know, a planning meeting with a list of features and a list of designs and not really tell a story. So I would say that my mentors, my teachers uh, in my early career, you know, training me on these sort of basics and then learning to storytell was kind of a breakthrough moment in, you know, translating what I thought as an inventor in my past to the inventor of today inside a large organization like Salesforce. So that's that's my story, how that impacted me. John, I have a follow-up question because I think you brought up something really interesting where you said about, first of all, I didn't know that about Salesforce shipping schedules. So that's really interesting. But I think there's also like the common definition or at least the common definition in my head, right? Is like a good PM is someone that ships, right? And like ships a lot and ships like really good stuff. And I guess like, that relates to to imposter syndrome slightly where it's like i think i've heard conversations with other pms who are my friends where it's like i'm not shipping as fast as xy person right or they ship this really big thing and i'm shipping these really small features and like you can't like i feel like they're doing better than me because of that like i guess like in your experience how did you how do you handle that or have you ever been in experience where like you're comparing what you're shipping versus others and yeah, what's the response? How did you respond? Yeah, it's a really great question. I'm glad you highlighted that. I'm I'm not going to beat around the bush on this. You know, at the end of the day, it is our primary role is to ship. I mean, we have to get product out the door and when it doesn't get out the door, we have to take the responsibility for it. This session is, is about, you know, how to succeed in product management. And one of the things that I've learned is to never point fingers 
that you always sort of assume the responsibility of everything under your watch. And so I am going to say that, like, yeah, shipping is important. And when you're not shipping, that will absolutely contribute to that feeling of, of imposter syndrome. I didn't do much comparison. Like, I didn't really do a lot of comparing. Like, I could see what I was shipping, what I wasn't. So it wasn't really comparing myself to peers. But if you don't crack the shipping nut, then I think that it's going to continue to, you know, weigh on you, this imposter syndrome, because I've got a slide that I train, train my PMs on and, you know, you know, what makes a great product manager. And I have to be blunt about it. And at, at the top of the list is ship. You have to be able to deliver product and take responsibility when you don't ship. And I think that vulnerability I've learned has also been really empowering that your team feels safe under you when you do take the fall or when you do take the blame, you know, you say, oh, well, you know, this engineer, they, they didn't work hard enough or this, you know, designer didn't produce in time. Da, da, da. You don't ever do that. You have to assume the responsibility of everything that happens in your product area. And, you know, I, I just I felt that that has paid back in that you bring everyone along with you and people want to work with you. And so, so yeah, I, I hear you that shipping is an important part of what it means to be a product manager. And if you aren't, you know, that can certainly contribute to that, that imposter syndrome. So I have another follow-up question. And sure. one thing that sort of not keeps me up at night, but I, I worry is because of how much we focus on shipping, right? Like how do we avoid shipping bad things? Because I, I do believe that as you said, to be a good product manager, you have to ship things. And I think there's just the way that it's framed in a lot of conversations is like, you just got to keep putting things out there, test it, like try it out. But then there is obviously the risk of shipping things that aren't solving problems, right? And then there's also situations where things take maybe more research or more time to become more like ironed out and make sure that it's more validated. So I guess like, I struggle just trying to figure out what is the right balance between the two, right? So like hearing how you thought about that would be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. And at the end of the day, you are going to ship things that don't work. That is also part of the job that you will have, you know, things that you deliver that just don't meet your expectations. But what I think you can do, I think what everyone should do is always have a hypothesis, you know, so you might not have solved the problem, but at least you came from the right place. I have this hypothesis that if we build X, Y, and Z, that will increase, you know, usage by some percentage. So make sure that you always have a hypothesis and then make sure that you always have a way to measure it. You know, it's not real unless you can measure it. And so, you know, I would just say that, you know, as long as you have your hypothesis and as long as you're able to measure it, you're going to make mistakes and things aren't going to deliver. And that's just part of the job. But you will ultimately deliver things that are successful and you'll have an opportunity to celebrate that and you'll get excited about it. And the more wins you get, I think the more success you'll see over time. So I think you have to not be afraid of shipping the wrong things because that does happen. And it, that's just the kind of the life of a product manager. We're all human, right? We're, we all make mistakes, you know, humanize it. And just say, you know, yeah, I had a hypothesis and it, unfortunately this didn't deliver, but I learned I absolutely learned a lot. And here's what I learned, you know, one, two, and three. If I was to do things differently, this is probably how I would have adjusted. And this is the, the data that we gathered from this. And, you know, maybe the feature didn't do what, it's, what it was expected to do, but the data is, is valuable in itself. So you, you can think of the product as your data, the data as your product. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's tricky, but, you know, it's, 
you know, it's not always smooth sailing. I mean, that's if this job was easy, then everyone would be doing it. It's, it's a very difficult job. And yeah, I'm not sure if I answered that question as, no, you as, did. Um, properly, but. And I, I want to turn to Sumeya on this one as well, because Sumeya has talked a lot about psychological safety, experimentation. This is your wheelhouse. This is your jam, so to speak. Yeah. So go I ahead. Think, I think there were in this conversation, it really like it highlighted a couple of layers that I always pay attention to when talking about imposter syndrome. The first one, the the organization or the culture that the person or me, let's say I'm talking about imposter syndrome as it relates to me. There are two factors I think about. One is the environment I'm in. What part of that lack of self-confidence or self-doubt, let's call it self-doubt, what part of that self-doubt is imposed on me because of the culture or the norms or what my the current culture is imposing on me? That's one. And then the second one, what is truly internal? to me and part of my belief system. So for example, if within the company there isn't a culture of learning and there isn't a culture of experimentation, and then I impose on myself this need for perfection, then to me, the issue is not necessarily with me. The issue is within the culture I'm within. Because in terms of my value system, for us to have a growth mindset and for us to have a healthy environment and culture, we should always allow for experimentation. We should always think about everything we do within the context of learning. So if anyone within the team feels like this extreme pressure to get everything perfect every single time, then it means we're not taking enough risks. It means we're not taking on big bets. And it means the upside is always going to be limited. And so I, I mentioned this because the topic of imposter syndrome is a little bit complex. And there was an article uh, last year that generated a lot of buzz in, you know, in women's circles. A lot of us leaders and other women, we talked about this a lot. It's essentially, the article was uh, in the Harvard Business Review, and it, the title of it was Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. And the gist of the article was a lot of women blame themselves for what is actually broken in the cultures they're in. And so we I'm snapping, up. by the way. <laughs> right. I think we both agree on that point. You actually alluded to it also in your starting state in your opening statement. So I think we agree on that. And so earlier in the day when we were talking about this being a topic, I was telling Jeff that this is not necessarily one of my favorite topics, only because it keeps putting the burden on the person feeling, you know, this feeling of imposterism. So to me, I would rather spend more of the discussion talking about what can be changed systematically to allow people to feel confident, to allow people to thrive and grow. And that to me is a lot of the hard work. And then on an individual basis, yes, there are things we all can do around, you know, we talk a lot about, I talk a lot about emotional intelligence. There is mentoring we can seek around this stuff. So we can talk about that too. But yeah, those are my general thoughts around this topic. Chelsea, I want to get your reaction to what Sumeya said as to where the, the focus should be and how do we, on this conversation, give people tangible action steps that could alleviate the problem, the core problem that you're referring to? Yeah, so snaps to everything that Sumeya said. I definitely agree with basically all of your major points. But I do think I really like 
to talk about this is exactly sort of what you highlighted, where I think so many people experience this, right? And like they experience it and they feel like it is my fault, right? And like I spent years feeling that way. But there are things that I think like, for example, when you're interviewing with a company, right? And like understanding the importance of being able to say like, is this a place where I will have like that psychological safety that you're referencing, right? Like, is this a place where I will feel not afraid of repercussions if I were to shift something, but I'm starting from, I think I love what John said about like starting from a good place. I think a good place is like, we could talk about that for like hours as far as like, how do you define that? But like, is the company or wherever, like the organization or nonprofit, like, is that a place where sort of imposter syndrome becomes not necessarily something that is your fault, but something that's like permeating in the air of wherever you're, you may work, right? So I think of it in like two lanes where just like you said, there's imposter syndrome that I think services because of external pressures. And then there's also the internal part where it's like being a PM comes with a lot of anxiety, right? It comes with a lot of pressure. It comes with just like they're not we love, like, we glamorize it, but there, I think there, it's important to talk about the things that are hard, right? And like extremely stressful. And for people who are naturally sort of more anxious, like myself, right? Like it manifests in sort of not the most positive ways, which I think why imposter syndrome was such a bad thing for me because both I've been in environments where it was hugely brought about because of the environment that I was working in, but then also like figuring out the ways that I could sort of quiet the own, the own like sort of like angel and devil on my shoulders. That's something that I've spent years trying to work on. It's still not perfect. It's still extremely prevalent, but there are ways that I've tried to do it. But I definitely appreciate the idea of like acknowledging the fact that like imposter syndrome, I would even say is probably like, I'd give it a good 68 to 71%, not the individual's fault. Chelsea, I wanted to also acknowledge one other thing. I think this other thing at play to the minority, the perfect minority bias. <laughs> so an environment where you're either the only woman right now, I'm in a team where it's mostly male. And in your case, probably you don't see a lot of African-Americans or Blacks around you. I mean, there are so many other factors that get layered on it. And I say that because I think there are certain things that need to be acknowledged that create more pressure for us, you know, within the environments we're in. There is a researcher, a professor that I love. His name is Kevin Coakley. He talks a lot about imposter syndrome. In fact, in his research, he talks about Einstein and Michelle Obama and Viola Davis and, and their feelings of imposter syndrome in their work that they do, even though they're excellent and amazing at all of it. I mention him because this is an area, at least in imposter syndrome, that we might all feel has not been necessarily found to be only relevant to women. Men also feel it, but its effect on the mental health of women is a little more prevalent. And so I mentioned this because I think if we care about the health of our employees, this working on empowering them and working on helping them cope and build the skills to work on these feelings of incompetence or inadequacy is very important. So I am supporting your points there too. Definitely. I, and I actually like, I've been in this sort of like A-B test myself where Actually, because I know you would normally make the assumption that I would probably be like, you know, only sort of black woman on my team. But 
big plug to Redfin where I think they do an amazing job as far as recruiting diverse talent. And so, for example, I think it was beautiful today where I had three meetings with Black women, right? Like Black female PMs, which is amazing. And this is the first job that I've ever had where it was like that. And you could sort of like see the changes in myself and like the willingness to, as John mentioned, like ship things, try new ideas. Like I know that and like following also like scientific method and making sure that I have that hypothesis and that I'm addressing the problem. But the ability to sort of feel like you're not sort of your head is not on the chopping block if you make a mistake. I think it's such a rare, beautiful thing. All right. So I want to make sure that we get a chance for Chelsea, Sumeya, and John to answer your questions. And also, if you want to chime in and express how you felt imposter syndrome, now is your chance. Red, I'm going to kick it over to you to lead the stage. Are you Red? Oh, boy. Okay, Jeff. Well, for everyone, don't Sumeya, I see you want to encourage Jeff Look, for everyone who is paying attention to this conversation, there are two things to know. One, Jeff is hilarious, and two, Samea loves to giggle to encourage Jeff's hilarity. So with that in mind, if you want to go the extra mile and you're listening to this podcast, I encourage you to send a dad joke to LinkedIn Jeff anytime you want, or mom joke to Samea. Fill their inboxes with humor. Let's spam their inboxes with valuable reasons to laugh. With that in mind, Jeff, (laughs) let me know how this goes. It's an attempt at a spam campaign. But for everyone else who wants to focus on today's conversation, we're here to do one thing, help product managers. And there are a bunch of you out in the crowd right now who are listening in who have questions. Please, this is a chance for you to raise your hand and ask those questions on stage. Yes, the show is recorded, so if you are shy and don't want to be on stage, you can go into our Slack group that's linked above, and you can find your way to me. Just DM me and say, hey, Red, can you ask this question on my behalf? Happens every week. Awesome to see. But for those of you who do not know how to raise your hand, there's a little hand raiser icon here in Clubhouse. It looks like a little itty-bitty hand. You press on that. And it'll let us know you want to come on stage and we'll invite you up. For those of you who want to be coming up stage, please remember you are someone who has an icon that is, for the most part, not an NFT, but a human icon. We want to see your face and know you're real. And if possible, some description about what it is your background is in the world of engineering or product. Maybe you're in CX and you want to cross over whatever it might be. Uh, with that in mind, Jeff, I want to leave time for the room to ponder what questions they want to ask. And if we have anyone who wants to raise their hands today and in the interim, I'll pass it back to you to stoke some controversy while we wait for questions. All right. I like that you call it an attempt to get my inbox spammed with terrible jokes, but that was a great stall tactic to get people to find that little raise your hand button. So we're welcoming people if you want to ask questions, but I have a question for John. Do you have a question? So you were a senior director at Pendo and you're now a VP. So you are in a position to a leadership position and you have an opportunity to create a culture and a product culture that is inclusive to diverse backgrounds and diverse opinions. So do you have any questions for Chelsea or Sumeya about imposter syndrome that will help you work to alleviate it uh, within your organization? Hmm, that's a great question. I mean, we've talked about psychological safety. You know, I have, you know, strategies that I've, you know, employed with my teams. But if there are any, uh, if you have any suggestions of like great ways to allow your product managers 
to feel that that safety. I would love to hear any suggestions that you might have. Yeah. Great question. Sumeya, I have a uh, did couple. You come off mute? <laughs> yes, cool. I have a couple and they're probably ones you do yourself right now. The first one is admitting my own shortcomings. So just like everyone on the team has things that they want to work on and develop in. When I get the results of my 360, in general, I pick two or three things that I share with the whole team and tell them that I'm working on those things too. And I think that's something helpful. And then the second thing, I pay attention, you know, sometimes, you know, we take this for granted, but there are a lot of people in meetings who actually stay silent. So I try to you know, pay attention to that and ask them pointed questions rather than, you know, we haven't heard from you. Do you have anything to add that that makes it like more uncomfortable for them? So try to include them in the conversation in a in a very specific way and inclusive way. Those are the two. So man, I, I very much appreciate that. I, I like your suggestion about not just inviting them into the conversation, but having a, a pointed questions specifically on whatever it is that you're talking about. I think that that's, that's really great advice. All right. So one thing I guess that has happened to me more recently where I've noticed that I have become a lot more comfortable in meetings is, especially with if someone is, say, like my direct manager or skip level manager. And this may seem like so obvious, but to me, in a lot of the experiences that I've had prior to where I am now, it is very much like, I feel like I have a lot of transactional relationships and especially with the people who are sort of above me. And I think rarely, right? Like discussions happen that were sort of outside of what is like a, a written agenda. And I think like when people who are sort of like my manager or some sort of proximity where they're supervising what I'm working on when they take the time to actually spend like five minutes to get to know like what I'm interested in, what are the things that I like to work on, understanding the ways that I think, right? Like sometimes like I'm the person who loves to ask questions, right? And like, there's a purpose why I ask questions, like being able to truly understand my working style and feeling like this person, when I'm in say like a larger meeting, like I have someone who is an advocate for me or who supports me or who's an ally, whichever word that you'd like to use that makes me feel a lot better in these types of rooms where traditionally I would be afraid. Right. But I know that there is this person who is sort of like, if anything, like they'll back me up or I feel like they respect me as a person. Like to me, feeling like you are respected goes a mile as far as being able to say, just like ask a simple question that I'm sure tons of other people are having the same question within that same room. Yeah. So it may seem small, but I definitely noticed that when I have those people in a room, I feel exponentially more comfortable in saying what I want to say. John, thanks for asking a question there. And Sumeya and Chelsea, thanks for giving a thoughtful response. And so now round robin, Sumeya, do you have any questions for John or Chelsea as it relates to imposter syndrome and what organizations can do and what individuals can do? Yeah, absolutely. I am curious about some of the advice when you're mentoring others some of the advice you give them on like actual concrete things they can do, let's say on a daily basis or a weekly basis, that would help them with their, you know, imposter feelings of imposter syndrome. So one thing that I started doing where like, as I'm sure a lot of people can relate is like when you face a lot of these scenarios where you're sort of like, there's a voice in your head saying, you're not smart enough, you're not blah, 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 whatever, you're not blank, whatever enough, right? And 
I think one thing that I've started to do is record things, right? Like I ask for feedback from my peers and like we all have, I'm assuming like regular feedback cycles where we have that written down. But like those other ad hoc pieces of feedback that you do get, it's important to record those in some ways as well. And then I also like, especially when it comes time for like promotion cycles or whatever, right? Like being able to reference like certain documents or certain conversations and being able to say, okay, this is what this person said about me. This is what this person said is a skill that I have. So that's like being able to record feedback and then there's also recording the things that you accomplish, right? So I did this and like, it may seem small or I solved this issue or this interpersonal issue that people were having. And like, I was able to bring people in a room and come to a decision and come to a decision quicker than I would, quicker than it would have come to if I were not in the room or something like that. Like I spend a lot of time where it's like validating or invalidating the thoughts that I have in my head where it's like, okay, I'm not a good communicator, but I can go back and say, okay, at this point I did this and I was a good communicator and this is obviously not false. And so I just like, I spend a lot of time just like making sure to service to myself that a lot of the things that I'm thinking are irrational by disproving it with facts. Like I very much like to say like, okay, this is the data that I have against this point. So it may seem tedious, but it definitely is helpful. Especially like I said, where outside of just being able to validate your own worth, it's just also like for promotions and stuff like that, being able to pull up quick documents and being able to say like examples of you performing a specific action. All right. The awkward pause there. I'll step in and see, did uh, that answer the question? And are we any rebuttals or comments on that? Smith? Oh, I, I was curious about John's thoughts too. Yeah. I, I have one piece of feedback is, you know, I'm very much a consensus builder. And I think one thing that you can do to hopefully relieve some of the imposter syndrome is, is really working on spreading the load of the responsibility of what it is that you're delivering like, yes, we are product owners, like we own product areas. But the fact of the matter is the business owns the product, right? And your your manager really owns the product. Spending a lot of energy in consensus building, meeting with people, hearing their thoughts, actively listening, reflecting back what it is that you heard from them, making sure that they understand that you've heard their feedback and that you're incorporating it. And then as you're going into larger projects, you know, build your case and build consensus for the direction that you're taking so that, you know, if, if you do end up building something that, that doesn't perform, well, well, we were all in this boat together. You know, we were all rowing together. We thought that this was the right thing to do. You know, I'm, I'm working for you guys, right? And I'm just sort of soliciting ideas and, and bringing, organizing the best ones. And I think, so I, I'm just wanting to highlight that consensus building. I'm very much a, a green style leader. I'm not really very much a do this, do that kind of leader, but more of let's listen to all the great ideas that the organization has and then put a plan together that sort of represents, you know, the consensus of, of the direction that everyone wants to go. All right. We are almost out of time. I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation and I want to make sure that we get a chance for concluding thoughts. Before we do concluding thoughts, one of the things that we love about how to succeed in product management is that we get to engage the audience and that you could get your questions answered by the people that we bring together. And so pretty soon, Red, Samir, are we going to do it next week or two weeks? We are going to try Twitter spaces. Uh, Chelsea had told us that we should try getting on Twitter spaces. So, Sumeya, is it going to be next week that we experiment with yes, it? Yes, and Amin is here. So we can uh, we can uh, get her expertise on this too. But uh, next week seems like a great week to start. Okay, so everybody, 
please, 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 if you're listening at home or if you're listening right here in Clubhouse, check out Sumeya's bio, my bio, and Red's bio, and follow each of us on Twitter. I'm like having like a random stream of consciousness because I don't even know how they would know how to follow us on Twitter. Uh, my handle's the same, at Prof Shulman. Sumeya, how do people find you on Twitter? Sorry, I was looking at my profile. So right here in Clubhouse, if you click my name or your name, all the way at the bottom is my Twitter account. You can just click on it and it takes you directly to it. But mine is at Sumeya. Cool. So join us next week on Twitter. Chelsea, you've been on Twitter quite a bit. So quick aside, tell us about the conversations that you've been having on Twitter and and how that platform has been working out as a way to communicate with product managers. Yeah. So I've been also doing some panels pretty much for the last like month and a half about how to land a role in product. And I think the difference between, or maybe like, and also this is my first time doing Clubhouse. So I am a novice. So I wouldn't even be able to tell you, I think a really good example of what's different because I don't even know if you could do that here, but the thing that I love in Twitter spaces is it's very easy to like react to what someone is saying. And so you don't feel like you're sort of talking into the abyss or like having to wait until someone unmutes before they respond. Like there's lots of like emojis and stuff that you could say where people feel like, all right, like, like to me, I would have been able to know that I'm over here, like snapping and nodding my head with whatever emoji that I decide to send. So that's a big difference. I definitely noticed. And also it's just easier because it allows you to sort of connect with the people that are listening and then you can see their tweets and stuff like that and just like it's all sort of within one platform which makes it super interesting and easy to use all right and then amin also told us to use twitter spaces so and we have two people on stage who told us to migrate to twitter spaces i mean real quick first tell us about yourself and, and why you're here and then if you have a moment uh, tell us a little bit about your experience on twitter spaces okay i'm here because i, I love this club the week in product and i also got excited when you said that you would be running a twitter space so i'm speaking in the capacity of a user and creator on twitter i do work for twitter And I do work in product, but I'm not speaking because I work for Twitter. So as a user, I started doing Twitter spaces late January, and I ran six spaces and went from 1,500 followers to over 13,000 for just six specific spaces about careers. So I know that from a user's perspective, if you start using Twitter spaces, you'll see a lot of growth because for some reason, there's a part of Twitter where people really love talking about tech. Product management is a hot topic there. I wanted to come up and also suggest that when you plan the space, schedule it in advance and then tweet it out and then pin it at the top of your Twitter profile. Pin the the space. It allows people to share it because it's very different from the way you schedule spaces here in Clubhouse. So make sure you schedule the space now and use the time between now and next week to actually promote it and pin it on your profile. So I just want to come up as a user and tell you why I'm really excited about you guys migrating over there, even if you just do it as a test run. Thank you so much. I have to say I'm scared. I'm really scared, Red. <laughs> what, what, had what, I, I love that feeling, uh, the yeah, feeling yeah. of being scared w- before you do something, and then it's the best because you usually learn something amazing from it. <laughs> I I hope so. Uh, For those in the audience, uh, Sumeya, Red, and I have been doing this for one year. Just two weeks ago, we celebrated, or three weeks ago now, we celebrated the one-year anniversary on Clubhouse. Sumeya has a beautiful crystal plaque 
uh, or trophy commemorating. She is the queen of Clubhouse. So this is like Kodak, uh, <laughs> you know, not wanting to go digital. <laughs> I'm not ready to leave. I love um, it. I mean, who knows? We'll see. We'll test it. Test and learn. Yeah. So I hope everybody in the audience will follow us on Twitter. I hope Sumeya or Red could figure out how to create a Twitter space for us because I am not good at technology. It took like Red three or four calls to walk me through this clubhouse thing and push me on here. So I'm scared, Sarge, to quote uh, the turtle in um, Ernest Goes to Camp. Red, you saw that movie, right? We're about the same. Oh, Ernest. I watched every Ernest movie that has ever existed. And there are many. Red, we can take care of this, right? Sarge? <laughs> you see, Jeff, the thing that you need to understand is on at least podcasting, they don't know what platform we're on other than we would tell people to tap on the little hand on the bottom of the screen. Otherwise, for them, it's a neutral listening. Like they don't care what we're on. So for those who are listening to the podcast today, we would love your feedback to know if the next podcast you get, what is your experience like knowing we are now speaking from a different platform? I'd be curious to know if anything changes, Jeff. That's where I'm excited. All right. The data is speaking. More people listen to this on their own time than live here on Clubhouse. We're going to try Twitter spaces next week. Everybody wish me luck. I'll need like a warm glass of milk and uh, something to calm my nerves down. <laughs> but we'll give it a shot. Jeff, I might rock your world. Apparently, there is a way for us to use both at the same time, Twitter and Clubhouse. I don't know exactly how they do it, but other people have done it. Ooh, all right. So hopefully somebody <laughs> will walk us through that and experiment. But for those of you, I, you know, especially our loyal listeners there, I see you. Join us on Twitter or send us a message on the Product Management Center Slack channel uh, to let us know. Please don't go. Um, but we're going to try at least one week. And then we'll definitely come back one of these Tuesdays at four uh, to tell everybody how it went and where we're going to go long term. But uh, we're about out of time. We talked about imposter syndrome. I think this took a, a path that is really important on a lot of dimensions. And I'm grateful for this conversation. And so I just want to give each of you a chance for concluding thoughts. And Amin, I don't know how long you were here, but if you have any uh, thoughts on imposter syndrome or how organizations can resolve, uh, I don't know, address the issue that seems to be more pervasive than any leader would like. Um, so that's that's what we're concluding with. I'll start with Sumeya because I could put her on the spot at any moment to, and she'll share some brilliant insights. And then we'll go Sumeya, John, Chelsea, and Amin. All right. I don't know uh, how much value I can offer here, but I, I think... <laughs> I think for us to move forward and do better, there is not all self-doubt is bad. So I think we, we always need to balance humility with confidence. Uh, also, as you think about your capabilities and you doubt your capabilities, think also about the environment you're in. If there is something systematic in your environment that can, that should be addressed, it might be better to start there. And that way you're not just making the world better for you, but for others. I hate saying that because it puts the burden on you as an individual. Do what you can, but also think about it's not just on you to do the work on yourself. Think about the environment outside of yourself too. All right. All right. I'll just kick it straight over to John. Any concluding thoughts? Yeah, Jeff, I just want to thank you for, for hosting this, this discussion today. And, you know, just remember that no product manager's journey is like a straight line. It is full of peaks and valleys. There's good times and there's bad times. 
So just keep on keeping on, you know, and yeah, best of luck to everyone on this path. All right, John, thanks for going from listener to guest in just one week. And you two at home can do the same. Uh, But John, it was great to have you here today. Chelsea, before I get to your concluding thoughts, I just also want to acknowledge and thank you for your work as a distinguished mentor in the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator offered here at the University of Washington. We've got this free program where we're trying to make a small dent. We're trying to do what we can to bring more diversity into product management and not just more diversity, but also uh, bring people into product management who have an eye towards inclusion inclusion in the stakeholders that they manage and inclusion in the products that they create. And uh, it's this free program and Chelsea is giving hours of her time, uh, bringing the next generation of product leaders, making sure they're armed with the um, the skills and and support network they need uh, to break in. Uh, Chelsea, thanks for all of that. And thank you for this conversation today. Concluding thoughts. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, Jeff. It's been fantastic. I guess like my concluding thoughts would be one thing that I think is it's very hard to solve, especially like when you're say like early career or you're starting somewhere where you like know no one, like especially if you're sort of only in a room and only can translate to a lot of things, right? Like maybe you're the only person who doesn't come in from like a, a tech background, maybe you're not a traditional computer science person or whatever, right? It becomes very difficult to sort of get out of your own head and make sure that you realize that like the things that you're feeling or whatever may not are mostly like most likely not your fault. And so that's why I think it's important where basically one of the reasons why I decided to go in towards like the mentorship route is finding communities where you can sort of share your experience to realize that like so many people go through similar scenarios. So that's why I love doing cop the Twitter spaces stuff, doing panels like this, even just like product Twitter, which I mean mentioned, which is really great because you see how many people are like oh God, like being a PM is hard today, right? Like it's hard a lot of days and like just being able to have a group to be able to just bounce your ideas and like bounce your thoughts off of is amazing. But yeah, find your people and don't be afraid to just like ask someone. I think that's a really great way also like in a tangent of opening up conversations on LinkedIn where it's like, hey, I'm feeling this or I'm feeling this thought, which I was afraid not to ask the question. Like, how would you approach this or blah, blah, blah. I love when people ask me about that. I love having those types of honest conversations. But yeah, thank you for letting me join you guys this week. All right. It was absolutely our pleasure. And I mean, you uh, popped up on stage uh, uh, late in the game. We're really glad to have you here. Did you want to chime in with just a few thoughts at the end here? Sure. It's interesting because just about two weeks ago, I was really struggling with imposter syndrome. I came from engineering over to product marketing management while you know, this is the first time I'm working in the tech industry, but I've been working for over 13 years as an engineer. So for me, there was a struggle and there still is. I don't think imposter syndrome will go away. However, recently, two executive leaders at my company specifically called out that they too deal with imposter syndrome. So I've taken a a step back and kind of zoomed out and ask myself, is it that I actually feel like an imposter or am I doing new things that are making me a little bit uncomfortable because I'm stepping out of a comfort zone or I'm stepping out of something that I was used to? So I think what's important to remember for anyone who's just stepping into a new environment, whether it's a new job or a new role that requires you to do something new, I think you should remember that you went through the entire interview process. You went through several people putting their input onto as to whether you should be hired for the role. So just knowing first and foremost that you do belong there 
and that you were wanted there is really important. We don't have control over the environment that we're in, but we do have control over, for the most part, how we react to things. So remember that you do belong there. They decided not in a vacuum that you should join the team and just keep being yourself and putting your best foot forward. I think as we do our best each day, we will continue to start to get more comfortable in the roles that we're in, even if they're stretch assignments or things that, you know, scare us a little bit. And that's what I would add. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Amin. Speaking of being scared, I'm scared, Red. Next week, we're going to Twitter spaces. I don't know. But Red, any concluding thoughts? I'm happy to do a practice space with you guys if you want right after this. It's very just so you can get the feels. Oh, thank you. I've got to run actually a minute ago. Um, I mean, let's connect. I'd love to, I'd love to take you up on that somehow if uh, Sumeya and Red aren't yes. going to guide well, me through it. Awesome. Red, any concluding thoughts? For right now, my recommendation to everybody here is mark your calendars for next week. And if you feel that you are going through any sort of imposter syndrome and you're doubting yourself, Remind yourself of today's episode. Listen to it again. That's not a, a reason to download it as like we're not trying to get downloads. We really want you to feel that you are absolutely the best version of yourself every day you come into work. And if you ever find yourself doubting that, you can always reach out to us and we will cheer you on. So with that in mind, back to you, Jeff. And just remember everyone's advice today. You rock. You're amazing. And you are where you are because that's where you're supposed to be. All right, Red. Thank you so much. Sorry we didn't get a chance to do Q&A. That's your time to shine. But today was uh, a time for uh, the, our panelists to shine. I really appreciated the vulnerability, the great insights, and the, the tangible action steps that uh, organizations can take and individuals can take to realize that they belong and that all of you have something to bring to the table and bring it. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. This was How to Succeed in Product Management. We're here every week on the podcast. So whatever podcast app you're listening to this on, you could download and, and you should subscribe and listen to future episodes. And again... Next week, we'll try on Twitter spaces. And Raul gave a, a great advice to maybe try to open this room and pin the link to Twitter spaces. That seems like a, a good idea that we might try as well. I mean, thanks for being willing to help us through the transition and for being here today. And thank you, John and Chelsea, for great insights. Really appreciated having you on How to Succeed in Product Management.